featuring all its best from the king of instruments on community keyboards. Hello again and welcome to this edition of Community Keyboards on air and online with Ian Wollstoneholm. As ever, over the next hour, I'll have music from the King of Instruments in all its guises with everything from classical and theatre organ pipes to digital electronic organs and keyboards and beyond. And I'll be continuing our Deja Vu feature, in other words, looking back over the 40 years of organ and keyboard music and features that I had the pleasure of presenting here in the region. And this time, we'll turn the clock back to the early 1990s to hear from the legend who was Lenny D, and a rare interview with John Beasley, amongst others. Now, I could not believe the number of likes and shares on our Facebook page in February last when uh, I featured my conversation and music from accordion supremo Harry Hussey. I know that the accordion world has a huge following in this area as well as globally and with this lively opener from Ian Cruikshanks and his Scottish dance band, it's really not that hard to see why.
Ian Crookshanks playing the Shand Marino and Melodian, and friends Jim Sterrick on fiddle, Bill Ewan on piano, Bill Milligan on drums, and Brian Crookshank on bass guitar. And yes, Ian Crookshanks still performing regularly at many of the accordion festivals. And the track, by the way, was called The Dancing Dustman. Now, without doubt, one of my highlights of presenting organ music on air came in 1992 and meant that for the purpose of the interview in question, my name was unexpectedly changed to I am (laughs) by my guest. And I, for one, was not going to argue with that. You'll get the gist after he's played April in Paris. talk, albeit over the phone with my special guest today, is a real honour, not least because it was a 12-inch LP record made by him which started off my collection way back in the early 1970s, and I'm delighted to welcome to the programme, from his home in St. Petersburg, Florida, the legendary Lenny D. Hello, Ian. Hello, England. Lenny, as I've 
previously mentioned on this programme, even if you don't particularly enjoy organ music, chances are that you'll have, at the very least, heard a handful of names like Klaus Wunderlich, Reginald Dixon, and of course, Lenny D. How does that make you feel to have so many people respect you as a musician? Well, it, it, it makes me feel just great, all right? I mean, uh, I... I I never really listened to anybody to take their style, you know, and uh, it just happened uh, that my style caught on, whatever, what, however it was, you know, it was uh, with a beat, it was taste, it was different than others, it was outstanding, you know. Yeah. It was a, a different from mainstream uh, sound of its own. Let, let's go back to your early Hammond roots for a, for a minute, Lenny. What first attracted you to that famous, uh, famous Hammond sound? Well, there was a. Uh, I was in a Catholic church in a choir. In 1933, when the Hammond organ came out, they brought this up for a demonstration in the choir. And uh, wow, it was just uh, something. And then they had a, a player called Milt Hurth in the United States. He had a radio program, 15 minute radio program every day. And I just, uh, I just enjoyed his work and his sound. And that was my inspiration. How easy or, or how difficult was it at, at that time for, for an artist such as yourself to be noticed with what was, to all intents and purposes, a, a brand new instrument? Well, I, I really didn't have any difficulty. I was just, uh, I was just lucky the good Lord uh, took care of me and, and led me in another path. Yeah. I, I guess that that perseverance must have paid off because wasn't it the uh, the, the country and western singer Red Foley who spotted you? Exactly. And did, he persuaded Decca to to sign you to to their record label. Would would you say that was a major turning point in your career? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I I was one of the first ones in Nashville, Tennessee, at that time in 1948 and 49. I played a supper club there. Okay. Uh, with some of the well, some of the great artists at that time that weren't really uh, outstanding, uh, like Anita Kerr singers, Chet Atkins, uh, uh, these kind of people, you know, that were in Nashville, and I worked the same club with them and worked in the same where they worked the band and played for the shows and whatnot, you know. You you wouldn't see it nowadays, Lenny, but of course in the 1960s, whatever the vocal pop hits of the day were, there was always Lenny D waiting to do an instrumental cover version. Did did you actually have kind of much say in the things that you were able to record, or, or was it all set down in, in sort of stone by the record companies that you dealt with? Well, I, and I, I can't say that I did have some say. Not all the say, but I did have the say. Owen Bradley, who uh, is in the Country Music Hall of Fame, who recorded, oh my God, so many, so many, made, oh, he made more hits with people. And uh, he, he uh, did the music score for uh, uh, Loretta Lynn's uh, coal miner's daughter and Patsy Cline. He did the, uh, the uh, music uh, for, the, for the picture. And uh, he's he, he's a very uh, a great man and knew how to how to how to pull from an artist the best from him. Yes. Hmm. What wasn't it true also, Lenny, that in the late 1960s you received more radio airplay in America than even our famous group from over here, the Beatles? Well, I was shocked at that. Yes, Universal Studios or MCA. 
they took a survey. Now, this was uh, mostly only in, uh, uh, how do I say it, uh, uh, Muzak and whatnot, you know. And I used to get calls uh, from people that came back from uh, Japan or they were... Uh, in uh, in Europe somewhere that they got off the plane they walked into this into the terminal <clears throat> and of course they were familiar with my music and they were surprised to hear it coming out of the uh, ceiling you know Let's bring things right up to date now, Lenny. Right. What, what exactly are you doing? What occupies your time as far as the popular organ scene goes now? Well, what you're asking now is, I'm 37, 38 twice, okay? <laughs> and I don't have anything really to prove. I'm very interested. I do concerts, okay? I just came out with a new CD, yeah. a double CD and a double cassette. And it's released in England under uh, under the name of Music Memories. That's right. Yes. I, and also, uh, I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, of course, you know Raymond uh, Black in Blackpool, Raymond. Uh, and then there's another one in Manchester that. 
came to the States, Alan Ashton. I don't know if you know him or not. Uh, yes, Alan. Manchester. Alan is a good friend of mine. He lives pretty close to where I do, yes. Oh, my gosh, what a sweetheart of a man. And <laughs> he came to the States and checked into a motel, and I wasn't three doors from him, and he didn't even know it. Then we had a, uh, an interview, him and I together, after the show, and it was the best... It was the best write-up that I have ever had in my life was from Alan Ashton. Also, getting back to what I'm doing now, is uh, I'm, I'm doing, uh, like I said, a lot of concert promotional work for Hammond Organ, and I'm ready for to uh, perform on some of the beautiful cruise ships that <coughs> come out of South Florida. Oh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm waiting for God to manifest it, and... Uh, uh, it, it will happen. Lenny, can I just say it's been a real treat to, to speak to you today on the programme and um, may we wish you all the best of success in your future career. Thank oh, I, I and you're, you're, you're very, very, very nice and I thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh my gosh, great. Lenny, many thanks indeed. Take care and for the moment, bye-bye for now. All right, thank you. Bye. late, great Leonard George de Stoppelaire, better known as Lenny D, on Hammond with April in Paris, Le Bicyclette de Belsize and Alicat. Lenny died at his home on February the 12th, 2006 in St. Petersburg, and no, I never did have the heart to correct his pronunciation of Ian. Ian is back after the break. On air at 99.7 FM, 
and online at oldhamcommunityradio.com. This is Community Keyboards with Ian Wollstoneholm. My next guest is Merseyside keyboard musician, arranger and composer John Beasley, who many will remember from organ festival days and at where he sat down for a chat in 1992 with me. You'll hear John play Yesterday, Lil Darlin and Roller Coaster on his £30,000 Yamaha ELX1. Thank you. 
As ever, it's a great privilege and a pleasure to welcome back to the programme after a, an absence of a year or two, John Beasley. Welcome back, John. Hello there. Hi. Things in your musical career have taken um, kind of a, a tangent split, haven't they? Because you've now devoted quite a large part of your time to the music software business. What, uh, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, I felt that um, there's a lot of times when I've been playing my pieces and my concerts that people have said, you know, can you supply us with that sound? You know, it was a great violin or that was a great piano sound or a great saxophone sound. And they felt that they wanted that on their instrument at home. And, and ever since um, these instruments have had built-in disk drives, it's been very much easier to be able to give people your sounds um, because, of course, it only costs the price of a disk, whereas... A while ago, the um, the ramp packs were about 40 or 50 pounds, if not more, whereas a disc is about 25, 30 pence now, so it's a bit different. Um, so it's been much easier to supply people with the materials for it. Um, but there's still been quite a big demand for um, good software because as instruments have become more sophisticated, uh, then you've been uh, wanting to get the, those kind of sounds out of them. And people have tended to think, well, I can't get those sounds, but you've got them. Isn't it easy just to put them on a disc for me and, uh, you know, I'll give you some money and take them home. Now that's interesting. You mentioned money. As, as a musician, I can remember um, not too far in, in the past where professional uh, keyboard players would guard and defend their sounds, their styles, uh, as though they were absolutely sacred. And now it, it appears to me that professional organists such as yourself are happy to distribute them amongst the ranks. Does, does, does that disturb you or, 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 or does the financial element make up for that? No, I, I think that, um, that there is a big difference that has happened with the more recent models in the fact that there's a far greater number of um, permutations of a registration. Each registration really is, is tailored to a particular style or a piece of music. So when you're, you're trying to, um, you know, say how uh, with the old, say the D85 Yamahas and things like that, there are only so many tabs and so many combinations. So if a, a player got a really good, sweet combination of, of stops, you can understand because it's the, the likelihood of someone else being able to to do that there's only so many really fantastic sounds that you can get out of it and if they got one then they'd keep it to themselves but there there are so many fantastic sounds really uh, it's it's the way they're played as well with the way that the instruments are touch sensitive now um, it's what you do with the sounds as well so in a sense uh, I hope I'm not shooting myself in the foot but the sound the registration is one thing but you have to be able to play it as well you know but i try and tailor the registration so that people can get close to the sound they want uh, straight away that's the whole point really i would imagine john that uh, a number of our listeners as as i have followed your career with interest over the years since the uh, the obvious talent that we saw on the warm-up spots at the various keyboard festivals of the past um, but now obviously john you've gone through the, the music training do you find that having gone through that treadmill, that the, the knowledge and the workings of that are helping you with designing and, and creating this software from a music, a musicality point of view? I, I certainly do think that, yes, because um, a, lot, a lot of my time at university was spent studying orchestration and uh, style composition and analysing music as well, uh, which is all very, very good training for breaking down what you hear um, in order, you know, obviously there's a good example is perhaps a Glenn Miller sound where you would, um, if you know the sound, 
you know when you hear it but you need to be able to know what makes that sound the way it does and the way the musicians are playing not just the actual choice of instrumentalists it's you know different quality instruments can make different sound and things like that so really being able to take apart music has helped enormously in being able to uh, create software and I think that that training is vital field is such a, a limited one not just here but all over the world and um, this is where the internet really does score is because um, you have the ability with the internet to have the same presence in terms of the image on someone's screen as if you were a big multinational company you know so if someone is interested in what you have to sell they have the same it has the same impact to them 
as if you were trying to sell a, a, a Vodafone or something like that, you know. Um, so you, you can create quite a big impression much more easily, uh, much more cheaply than um, in other ways. Um, so far, the, the amount of interest for the software uh, that I produce through the internet has been slightly limited, but certainly there have been sales that I've had which I would never have had. And certainly from those people in far-flung places of Malaysia and Japan and America, I would never have made those sales. And in some cases, I would never have um, had the repeat sales and things like that as well. So it opens doors, I think, as much as anything. But it's not the major income, really, isn't from internet sales. Maybe one day. Well, things are taking off, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, finally, John, I've got to ask the obvious question. Uh, apart from all the, uh, the, the, the the backstage work that you've obviously been doing and the creative work that you've been doing with the, the software, are you still managing to find time to actually play the, the instruments? <laughs> I'd love to have uh, more time to actually play. Um, one thing I do enjoy very much now is I've bought myself a, a nice piano. And um, it's a nice kind of contrast for me from all the technology is to just sit and play uh, an acoustic instrument um, which seems quite bizarre I think really um, when you think that uh, my whole life has been spent uh, getting more and more out of these technological um, machines if you like and making them musical you know and, and trying to make them as, as expressive as possible and then going back to basics as it were with the piano it, it's very good because I think it, it um, keeps you keeps resetting you in, in the way that you um, you think about music uh, at the end of the day it's the notes you play and the way you play them uh, all the technology in the world isn't going to change that you know, you've got to get that right first so I think that you know I, I do enjoy that and that's what I do to relax I play the piano but I still I love this I love to be able to spend a couple of days creating a new arrangement because the, the feeling of creating the same sound as a symphony orchestra is what I got into organs in for in the first place you know. John it's always a pleasure to talk to you we always get the grassroots level response and we, we do appreciate <laughs> that you, you seem to have this uh, unique habit of, of uh, making even the most complicated instruments sound and seem uh, usable to uh, dimwits <laughs> such as I so uh, for the moment again John and I hope it's not too long before we have a chance to meet but thanks for now right, thanks soon
the nostalgic sounds of the theatre organ to the latest digital home keyboards. It's right here on Community Keyboards with Ian Wollstonehome. Well, now you don't get that at the kids' birthday party. The fifth largest church organ in the world at Garden Grove, California, Crystal Cathedral. Yes, April is of the official 40th birthday of organ and keyboard music on air, with yours truly at various helms during that time. So, at such a juncture, it seems not unreasonable for a bit of an overhaul to community keyboards, but don't panic, nothing too radical. As you know, we feature as many different keyboard styles as time allows, but it's not always immediately thought to be the case when the programme signature tune kicks in. Actually, this could be the start of something big has been omnipresent for several hundred editions with various arrangements, and I'm grateful to many organist colleagues for recording the piece, originally suggested by my late father four decades ago, but time for a change it is, and I'll be premiering that which will be the new theme tune, appropriately enough called Sound Future, from the pen of guests last year, Andy Quinn, at the end of this edition. The good news is that we'll be keeping most of the programme format. After all, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, as somebody says. But hopefully the new SIG tune will show the orchestral organ in great light. For now, here's the original theme tune, Two Hearts in Waltz Time from Klaus Funderlich, used between 1980 and 1981 for the Ward Round programme on Oldham Hospital Radio, which was technically the predecessor to this programme, having had three names in its history, Sounds Organised, Keyview and Community Keyboards, of course. Thank you. 
Now, with the COVID-19 crisis and its manifold lifestyle restrictions, perhaps this is the time for many home keyboard players to spend even greater amounts of time at their instruments. Online, there have been many live and social media mini-concerts, and uh, it seems to me that there's been a real pulling together by musicians. For the T.S. de Picardy Music Forum users, it's all very much business as usual. And with that in mind, let's have the winners of the music challenge, which was to play something in a big band or orchestral style this time. Three winners, the first of which is John Pringle, playing the Korg PA4X. John has recently undergone thumb surgery, so to even think about sending in an entry in itself is very laudable. Here's that beautiful melody, Charmaine. Next comes Brian Dawson from Chester Le Street with the new arranger keyboard from Yamaha, the PSR SX700. Now, under normal circumstances, Brian and his local friends enjoy playing music in their locality, but I guess that's currently on hold. Well, here's Brian with Puppy Love.
third joint winner, John D, is one of Brian's fellow band members at the Music Makers and Northeast Keyboard Club, and has worked in nearly all the Northeast clubs over the years, and quite possibly has the bruises and scars to prove it. Well, no introduction needed for this played on Tyros 5 keyboard, other than it's likely to be a much reduced service. thanks to all the winners this time. Now, if you've not had a go yet, the first step is to visit the website, which is www.tiasdepicardy.co.uk. I'll just spell that for you. It's www.tierce-de-picardie. .co.uk, sign up to the group and upload your entry. Community Keyboards with Ian Wollstoneholm. OK then, for the final time for a while at least, let's have Jelani Eddington on the 580 San Filippo residence Wurlitzer, recorded at the 14th annual Pipe Organ Extravaganza and Rialto Fest weekend in April 2010. And thanks to Jelani Eddington for doing the honours for a couple of years or so, along with Nigel Ogden, Tim Flint, Jimmy Smith, Harry Hossey and Declan Poole. Now I know that there are a couple of other arrangements too in the pipeline, so watch this space for those as they say. Well so then, contain your excitement no longer. Let's find out what the new programme theme will be from now on. Composed by Andy Quinn and played on a host of keyboards, piano and Hammond organ and orchestral sounds, this is the full arrangement of Sound Future.
Future by Andy Quinn. And there's a combo organ arrangement which you'll hear from time to time as well. Now you may have seen the video I shared on our Community Keyboards Facebook page recently showing the sad end of a musical era between Andy and the well-known Angel Studios in London. I didn't realise that at the time of choosing Sound Future as the new intro, so Andy tells me that this was the very first track he recorded in Angel One Studio more than 30 years ago. <laughs> 90 albums later, yes you heard that right, 90 albums later, the studios which saw the likes of Pavarotti and Kylie Minogue record within its walls finally closed its doors in January this year. So, in saying happy birthday to Community Keyboards this month, as ever, if you want to listen again to this edition, you can do so at your convenience via the oldhamcommunityradio.com player or via the programme's website at communitykeyboards.com. You can contact the programme by dropping an email to communitykeyboards at gmail.com or via Royal Mail to PO Box 997 Oldham OL1 9EB. We also have our Facebook page, should you wish to interact via social media. For now, this is Ian Wilson home saying thanks very much for listening. Take care, all the best, and with the sound future outro, bye for now.